Here's the challenge ahead of us on Abounding Grace. Hold on to the promises of God. Hide them in your heart. Make a commitment to keep them and follow them. Yield to them when God, by his Holy Spirit, brings them to your remembrance. Respond to them when you get that text message or that scripture pops up on your Facebook feed or, you know, just all of a sudden, you know, it worked. God brought some new believer into your work and they've got the scripture up on their computer and you happen to see it walking by their cubicle. You go, man, I've walked by this cubicle a thousand times and I've never seen that before because God is reminding you of his word. Hold on to his word. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing. It's been well said that you may set out to become successful and live to regret it. Still, we all desire success, and that's not necessarily wrong. I should also add, we can have it and not live to regret it. We're studying 2 Samuel with Pastor Ed Taylor on Abounding Grace. At this point, David is now king in Jerusalem, just as God said, and has become great, to put it mildly. We're going to take note of how he handles this God-given success. It'll serve to help us in so many ways. With today's teaching from 2 Samuel chapter 5, here's Pastor Ed. David finally comes to that place. He's king and the nation will now benefit from all the training of David, just like the people in your life will benefit from all the training that's taking place in your life. All the good things, all the hard things, and everything in between. David has chosen to submit to it and that that means he will theoretically, you know, in the middle, you know, when, when he finds he's on the run, he submits to it. And what that means in his life, he doesn't know. He, he, he's submitting to it that I will run as long as God wants me to run. Even as he was tested on it. Remember his men saw Saul in the cave, relieving himself. This is your time. Go get him. He's right there. And David, instead of taking King Saul out, he went up, remember, to his robe, and he cut a little piece of his robe off and then came out and said, I could have taken you out. You were in my hands. We were all there. But I chose not to. I trust the Lord. Those were, that was a highlight in his life. He didn't know it would end 10 years later. He just knew God and was learning to know him. And David will reign Turn over to Psalm 119 because one of the things I believe through the Psalms we learned from David is that not only was he a man of the word, but he trusted the Lord through his word. That was a big part of his relationship. And he, he tells us in Psalm 119 the value of God's word in his life and thus the value of God's word in our lives. We need to learn how to hold on to the promises of God. The promises of God are an anchor in our lives especially when everything is wavering around us and our own emotions are, are just overwhelming us and we're not sure what's up ahead or how long it's going to last. David, he held on to the word of God and we would do well to hold on to the promises of God. In Psalm 119, just, I'll just go through some verses with you of the promises of God. Notice verse 11. Your word I have hidden in my heart, Psalm 119, 
Your word I've hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. Look at verse 16. I will delight myself in your statutes and I will not forget your word. Verse 17. Deal bountifully with your servant that I might live and keep your word. Verse 25. My soul clings to the dust. Revive me according to your word. Verse 28. My soul melts from heaviness. Strengthen me according to your word. Verse 38. Establish your word to your servant who is devoted to fearing you. Notice verse 41. Let your mercies come also to me, O Lord, your salvation according to your word. Verse 50. This is my comfort in my affliction. Your word has given me life. Verse 58. I entreated your favor with my whole heart. Be merciful to me according to your word. Verse 67. Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your word. How many of you have that testimony? Before I was afflicted, before I was afflicted, I, was, I went astray. But it was that very affliction, that difficulty, that trial, that enormous situation, that fear, that anxiety. When that came my way, well, just like David said, I keep your word now. Turn my attention. You know how people, maybe it was you too, you get into a crisis and you find yourself all of a sudden a prayer warrior. Man, God, help me, get me out of this. And then sometimes people will say, if you get me out of this, God, I will devote my life to you forever. If you ever hear of anyone ever making that commitment to the Lord, remind them of it. It's a good commitment to make. Because God will show himself faithful. God will answer a prayer. And for those of you that have dedicated yourself, I'll serve, I'll serve you. Man, fulfill your side of the bargain, would you? Before you were afflicted, you went astray. But it's through that affliction, through that fire. Now you keep his word. Verse 68, you are good and do good. Teach me your statutes. Verse 74, those who fear you will be glad when they see me because I have hoped in your word. Verse 89, forever, O Lord, your word is settled in heaven. Your faithfulness, verse 90, endures to all generations. You establish the earth and it abides. They continue this day according to your ordinances for all your Servants, And unless, verse 92, your law had been my delight, I would have perished in my affliction. Hold on to the promises of God. Hide them in your heart. Make a commitment to keep them and follow them. Yield to them when God, by his Holy Spirit, brings them to your remembrance. Respond to them when you get that text message or that scripture pops up on your Facebook feed or, you know, just all of a sudden, you know, it worked. God brought some new believer into your work and they've got the scripture up on their computer and you happen to see it walking by their cubicle. You go, man, I've walked by this cubicle a thousand times and I've never seen that before because God is reminding you of his word. Hold on to his word. In 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 12, it says, so he sent and brought him in, and now he was ruddy with bright eyes and good-looking. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is the one. 
And then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. So David arose and went to Ramah. He held on to that promise to this day. And it finally arrived. Even when it seemed like it wouldn't happen. Even when it felt like it would never see the day of the fulfillment. Here it is. Hang on to the promises of God, gang. Hang on. Going back to 2 Samuel now, verse 6. Chapter 5, pick up in 6 with me. And the king and his men went to Jerusalem against the Jebusites, the inhabitants of the land, who spoke to David, saying, You shall not come in here, but the blind and the lame will repel you, thinking David cannot come in here. Nevertheless, David took the stronghold of Zion, that is, the city of David. Now David said on that day, whoever climbs up by the way of the water shaft and defeats the Jebusites, the lame and the blind who are hated by David's soul, he shall be chief and captain. Therefore, they say the blind and the lame shall not come into the house. So David, verse 9, dwelt in the stronghold and called it the city of David. Then David built all around from the Milo and inward. So David went on and became great and the Lord of hosts was with him. A new nation needed a new capital. And God chose Jerusalem to be that place where David would rule. Politically, Jerusalem was a Jebusite city and belonged to no individual tribe. So there wouldn't be any issues between, wait a minute, why is David choosing that tribe over this tribe? It was a completely independent city, politically. Practically, Jerusalem was a safe city, up high on a hill, surrounded by three sides on a va- by valleys. In Psalm 48, verse 2, it says, Beautiful in elevation, the joy of the whole earth is Mount Zion on the sides of the north, the city of the great king. In Psalm 50, verse 2, it says, Out of Zion, the perfection of beauty, God will shine forth. So politically, it fits. Practically, it fits. But most importantly, spiritually, it fits. Because Jerusalem was God's choice. It is God's choice. This is the city that will prophetically be important for all eternity. It's the city, if you were with us on our tour recently, that we stood there on the side of the mountain and we looked down over the Temple Mount and we said it's because of that place that the greatest problem in the world exists, where that dome is sitting. It's a, it's a huge politically, it's, it's huge prophetically, and it's the right choice spiritually. And you notice that God gave it to David. I'm certain that God in this decision, even though it appeared to be a very practical and very political and strategic decision, this was the appointed place of worship. This is where the temple will be built. God has set his throne there according to Psalm 2 verse 6. And the prototype of the new Jerusalem is there, our eternal dwelling. The Jebusites thought that their city was impregnable. And as you look at it, you can see, you can understand You can see how hard it would be to take that city, but not with God. David sent his troops and and recognized that, man, for a city there, they've got to have a water source. And that's the place to go. And and so he tells them to go into the shaft and find the shaft. and, And through this, we have a summary of taking of the city of Jerusalem. And today it is a great trial and turmoil. As there's great consternation over that small piece of real estate according to the prophetic word of the Lord and over Jerusalem in particular. Now, verse 11. Then Hiram, the king of Tyre, sent messengers to David, cedar trees and carpenters and masons, and they built David a house. 
So David knew that the Lord had established him as king over Israel and that he had exalted his kingdom for his people Israel's sake. And David took more concubines and wives from Jerusalem after he had come from Hebron, and more sons and daughters were born to David. And these are the names of those who were born to him in Jerusalem. Shamua, Shobab, Nathan, Solomon, Ibahar, Elishua, Nepheg, Japhia, Elishama, Eliada, and Eliphelet. So the king of Tyre, there's right away a rewarding of the obedience in taking the city of Jerusalem. The king of Tyre, wanting peace, and wanting peace with this new nation, sent messengers, skilled workers, to help serve David, hoping, I'm sure, in exchange for a political alliance. It would have been very easy for Israel to block the trade route to Tyre because of the area that they now control. And David saw this as God's approval. David saw this as God's blessing, and that's true. But then you see the weakness of David. And I'm certain that if God was to write our story, it would be very similar. If, if this was, you know, can you imagine the last 10 years of your life as a book of the Bible? <laughs> think about that. There's probably some really good things in the last 10 years. Some just things of God's blessing, God's hand of approval, God's grace in your life, undeserved, unearned. And then maybe, a, well, and David took more concubines. David, again, that was the political thing to do. That was the customary thing to do. And it was the very thing that God forbid. And I've mentioned it many times. I don't think we've turned back. Go back to Deuteronomy chapter 17, just so you can see it for yourself. Such blessing, such approval, such anointing, such confirmation, such victory, and such failure. The Bible forbid this. And we've mentioned it many times, but let's just read it see it together in our own scriptures, that far, be, far before there was ever a kingdom, God had given direction for the coming kingdom. In Deuteronomy 17, pick up with me in verse 14. These are the laws for the administration of the king. When you come to the land which the Lord God is giving you, and possess it to dwell in it, and say, I will set a king over me like all the nations that are around me, you shall surely set a king over you, whom the Lord your God chooses, one from among your brethren, you shall set as king over you. You may not set a foreigner over you who is not your brother, but he shall not multiply horses for himself, nor cause the people to return to Egypt to multiply horses. For the Lord has said to you, you shall not return that way again. Now the idea behind multiplying horses, you got to think of it in terms of a military strategy of trusting in the strength of horses and trusting in your military might and trusting in your government might and really trusting in the hand of man. Don't do that, king. You, you serve God. So don't go, you don't multiply horses. That's not just having possessions. This had significance of who the king would trust to protect him and guard him. And the idea was multiplying horses beyond faith in God. So don't do that. And verse 17, neither shall he multiply wives for himself. Couldn't be clearer. David, how many wives are you supposed to have? Well, David's not here, but what would we say to him? One, don't you multiply wives, nor shall he multiply, number three, silver and gold for himself. Don't use the position. Don't use the leadership to multiply gold and silver for yourself. But the key that we see him here is he took more concubines, a very bad 
decision. The right way would have been to obey the Lord. Now, verse 17. When the Philistines heard that they had anointed king over Israel, David king over Israel, all the Philistines went up to search for David. And David heard of it and went down to the stronghold. The Philistines also went and deployed themselves in the valley of Rephaim. And David, verse 19, inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I go up against the Philistines? Will you deliver them into my hand? And the Lord said to David, Go up, for I, doubtless, I will doubtless deliver the Philistines into your hand. So David went to Baal-perazim, and David defeated them there. And he said, The Lord has broken through my enemies before me like a breakthrough of water. Therefore he called the name of that place Baal-perazim. And they all left their images there, and David and his men carried them away. Then the Philistines went up, verse 22, once again, and deployed themselves in the valley of Rephaim. And when David inquired of the Lord, he said, You shall not go up. Circle around behind them and come up upon them in front of the mulberry trees. So it shall be when you hear the sound of the marching in the tops of the mulberry trees, then you shall advance quickly, for then the Lord will go out before you to strike the camp of the Philistines. And David did so as the Lord commanded him, and he drove back the Philistines from Geba as far as Gezer. So while the king of Tyre wanted peace, the Philistines wanted war, and they attacked David twice, very rapidly. David's response both times, he sought the Lord. Very wise response when you're attacked. Seek the Lord. The results both times, victory. And we have to pause at verse 22 and, and ask, why pray? You know, why pray? Why, why do we pause and seek the Lord when it seems so obvious? This just happened. God told me already when the Philistines come, attack them. And this again is that place where we go from one victory where we're going to see with the nation or what we saw actually earlier in the life of Joshua is where he had great victory at Jericho and great defeat at Ai. Because in Jericho, he sought the Lord. In Ai, he took it upon himself. So it could be that David's just learning his lesson here. It could be that David is just understanding the reality of what it is to seek the Lord every time. But that is the, the mistake we often make. We kind of size up the situation. We look back to what we've done before. And we go, well, why pray? I already know how to handle this one. I've already been here. I've already taken care of this. But that's not wise. God doesn't always do things the same way. There's variety with God. He doesn't always handle things the same way. He's not always going to do it. He's not predictable, our God. Nor is he controllable. We need to ask constantly. Jesus told us that we need to continue to ask and we need to continue to knock and we need to continue to seek. God may want to do something different. He may want to do it a different way. God is not limited and will not be limited to our patterns and our demands. God reserves the privilege of being free and sovereign and in control. He works as he wants to work. And we should not be find ourselves guilty of trying to formulate the pattern by which God works and demanding that God work this way and then be, being disappointed and upset with God when he doesn't work our way. You know, we can come to God for wisdom and we say, God, what do you want to do? Or what happens often is we formulate the plan and we say, well, God, bless this plan. Now, that plan may or may not be from the Lord, but oftentimes it's not. It's interesting how we always want to put things to formulas. 
We always want to package things up. We want to have seminars on how to do things, conferences of how God works, programs and techniques. You know, in, in the realm of which I serve in the pastoral ministry, there's always some new thing that's put together and packaged of how to grow your church. You can grow your church this way, and you can grow your church that way, and you can... Well, what they always fail to say on the first page is that the church belongs to the Lord and he'll give the increase as he desires. You just teach the word and love the people and let God do what he wants to do with the church. Just because you followed a pattern and the church has grown doesn't mean it's from the Lord. God will draw people together because he loves people. But we don't want to fall for that. Don't waste your money buying all the packages. Prayer is free. Now, we need to recognize that God can and will work in many different ways, and he does. The second battle shows us how God does work in different ways. He tells him in the second battle, the first one just go on after him. But the second one, when David, verse 23, inquires of the Lord, he says, you shall not go up. What should they do instead? Circle around and come up in front of those trees, those mulberry trees, and then... You, it will be when you hear the sound of the marching in the tops of the mulberry trees as it starts to move, that's when you should advance quickly because then the Lord will go out before you. So they could have gone out themselves, but the Lord would not have gone before them. This is the way. You follow God's way. God wants his will done his way. And when you do God's will his way, he goes before you. That's how you want your battles being fought. God going before us. As we're serving Jesus and leading his church, Let's seek to discover God's will. What does he want to do? Seek to find out where and when the Spirit is moving and move with the Spirit, not formulating our own plans, not to lay out a program and then say, Lord, bless this, but rather, God, what do you want to be doing? We need to be where you're already working, serving and reaching this city. So our prayers can be really wasted because it's just our program and just wanting God to do our thing. And ultimately, we really don't want God to do our own thing. We want to do God. We want to do God's thing, and we want to follow him. So be careful. You know, you look at this, and God had a whole new thing for the Philistines. Because, you know, the Philistines aren't seeking the Lord. You know, the enemy gets far too much credit because the enemy is not God. And, and he's got predictable patterns. And, you know, God knows in advance what's going on in our lives. When we seek God for wisdom, he knows how to direct us. The devil doesn't ask God for wisdom. He can't. The Philistines didn't ask. They didn't inquire. They're going to do the same thing over and over again. They're going to go forward on the children of Israel with, with military strategy. And they're going to go back, well, they defeated us this way, so we're going to do this. But God already knows that. Don't go at them. Go around this way and wait. And then as soon as you see the trees start to move, then go. And you're like, okay, Lord, I want you on my side. It's so much easier to have God be on God's side because he goes before us, discovering the will of God, the ways of God, and moving with God rather than trying to get God to move with us is so much more peaceful. And so God gave him a completely different battle plan. And here in the beginning, there's great successes. Even though with David, there's also failure. God is going to bless his nation through David. Pastor Ed Taylor is leading a study of 2 Samuel on Abounding Grace. If you joined us late or would just like to hear the message again, request a CD copy for $2.
We can be reached toll-free at 877-30-GRACE. I'll repeat that number in just a moment. You'll also find Pastor Ed's teachings at calvaryaurora.org. Another way to take in a steady dose of God's Word is through the Calvary Aurora app and the Grace FM Colorado app. Download those today. They are free. If you take a brief moment to write or call, that would make our day. Let us know the station you're listening to and if today's study was a blessing to your life. We'd also love to pray for you. You can email us through the website at calvaryaurora.org. Abounding Grace is made possible through the support of our listeners. And when you give a donation of $25 or more to Abounding Grace, we'll send you a copy of The Calvary Road by missionary and evangelist Roy Hessian. In it, he describes the pathway to genuine revival. And you'll read both the prerequisites and the consequences of God at work in the heart of a hungry seeker. We appreciate the generosity of our listeners. It helps us provide the teaching of God's Word on stations all across the nation. Thank you for standing with us. Call 877-30-GRACE or visit calvaryaurora.org. Tomorrow on Abounding Grace, we'll learn that God's will done God's way leads to God's blessings. This is amazing grace. Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Chapel, Aurora.